verse 31 through the end of the chapter. And taking the twelve, he said to them, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. For he will deliver, he will be delivered over to the Gentiles, and will be mocked and shamefully treated and spit again, spit upon. And after flogging him, they will kill him, and on the third day he will rise. But they understood none of these things. This saying was hidden from them, and they did not grasp what was said. As he drew near to Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. And hearing a crowd going by, he inquired what this meant. They told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. And he cried out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And those who were in front rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, the son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and commanded him to be brought to him. And when he came near, he asked him, what do you want me to do for you? He said, Lord, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, recover your sight. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he, his sight, he recovered his sight and followed him, glorifying God. And all the people, when they saw it, gave praise to God. Well, I want to speak to you this morning on this text under the title, Only Jesus. Only Jesus. Only Jesus has the power this morning to open the eyes of the blind. We're going to turn to him. We're going to look to him. We're going to ask him to help us as we explore this topic. Only Jesus. Please pray with me and let's get into it. Father, we thank you. For this text, we thank you for the story of the blind beggar, the eyes that were opened. God, we pray that we would have our own eyes opened to the truth of the gospel this morning, spiritual truths that otherwise would be veiled and hidden from our spiritual sight. We recognize that only Jesus is able today. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, here's a uh, modern-day parable that I, that I heard. Is this a little something? Keep going. A little modern-day parable for you. A little take-off some of these healing stories. Um, there were three blind men healed by Jesus. The first blind man was healed through the command of Jesus. The second blind man was healed through mud being placed on his eyes. And the third blind man was healed through Jesus spitting on the man's eyes. All three of these blind men then went and started their own conference on how to heal the blind. The first conference focused on commanding blind eyes to be open. And so thousands of people would come from all over blind, and, and they would be commanded throughout this conference to see, open your eyes and see. The second conference was a conference focused on mud. They would make mud, all kinds of special mud. You could, you could have uh, a, a, a different color mud. You could have uh, mud with different scents to it. And these muds would be placed onto blind eyes and, and they would be attempting to open blind eyes with mud. The third conference was nasty. 
it was, uh, there was a lot of uh, saliva involved. And, uh, you know, everybody's spitting on each other's face, and there's, like, saliva dripping down cheeks. Everybody's got, they're walking out with spit on their eyes, all right? The only uh, common factor between all three of these conferences is that everybody would come blind, and then everybody went home blind. Listen, we have a tendency to believe the power is in human technique. We have a, a tendency to believe that the power is in some secret formula, if we can kind of do it the right way. We have a tendency to believe that the power in ministry is in a strategy, a method. We have a tendency to believe that the power is in us. This morning, I want you to know the power of God is not found in any method, strategy, or technique, but the power of God is found in God alone through His Son, Jesus Christ, using the power of the Holy Spirit. The power for us to see any change in our lives and in our ministry is through the work of the triune God. And so that's why we're coming to this God this morning in human flesh, and we're focusing on this simple topic, only Jesus. Only Jesus has the power to change lives. This is the last Sunday of 2019. It's a good Sunday for us to reflect on the past. It's a good Sunday for us to reflect on what God has done in the year 2019. It's a good Sunday to reflect on the fact that even though we've had our challenges, as a ministry, personally, individually, you've had your own challenges, God has preserved you. Here you are. You're still believing in Him. You're still a person of faith. Why is that? Only Jesus, church. Only Jesus. As we think about 2020, the year to come, we want to see some things. We want to see some ministry happen. Our tendency is to believe that our power is in what we can do. Our tendency is going to be to believe that our power is in human technique and methodology. Our power in 2020 is going to be the same as it was in 2019. And that is in only, only Jesus. It's his job. So I want to focus this morning on exactly what his job is. This is sort of a message on uh, what your job is not. So you can relax this morning. And no, you're not going to walk out of here with a to-do list. But you're going to walk out of here with only Jesus. Amen. Somebody said praise the Lord. Somebody's with me. I'm going to need your help this morning. We're a little, little lighter in numbers today. It's the last Sunday of the year. You know, some people cancel church on this day. We don't. We keep it rolling. Even if half of us show up but I'm going to need your help this morning. Amen? Amen? All right, Jesus in verse 31 
we, we, be, we, be, we begin to see what's going on here. He takes 12 people with him. Look at verse 31. Taking the 12, taking the 12, he said to them, see, we are going up to, where are they going? Jerusalem. And everything that is written about the Son of Man will be accomplished. Now, as they're heading up to Jerusalem, he's taking the 12 with him. Keep that in mind. These are his 12 disciples. As they're heading to Jerusalem, Jesus says, everything is about to be accomplished. Now, this would uh, fire the disciples up a little bit. They would get a little bit excited about this. Why? It's because Jerusalem is where, where there's a throne. There's a palace in Jerusalem. The temple's in Jerusalem. The Messiah is going to be lifted up in Jerusalem. The Messiah is going to rule and reign from Jerusalem. And so as they're making this final move toward Jerusalem in the book of Luke, the twelve are getting excited because it's about to happen. The unveiling. The Messiah is going to be shown to be the Messiah. So they're excited. Listen, the disciples wrongly believe that they are going to help Jesus become the Messiah when they get to Jerusalem. They wrongly believe that they're going to pull out a sword and cut off an ear and help Jesus conquer the Romans. They wrongly believe that glory is going to come to them because of what they're going to help Jesus do when they get to Jerusalem. And we have this tendency to believe that in 2019... Our success was in our strategies. Our success was in the way that we worded things to somebody and it caught their attention. We wrongly believe that some of the conversions that we saw were, were, were due to our work. And as we move into 2020, we wrongly believe that it's going to be up to us to see something happen. When they get to Jerusalem, what the disciples don't yet realize, when they get to Jerusalem, it's going to be a one-man show. There's only one who's going to do any work in Jerusalem, and that is only Jesus. When they get to Jerusalem, there is only one who will be worthy of glory. There's only one who will be worthy of praise, and it's not them. It will be only Jesus. What do we see in this text? There's, there's two scenes side by side that make this point. First, what we see is that we are born spiritually blind and we cannot understand the gospel. Let me show you where I see that. They're heading to Jerusalem and Jesus says to them, everything that is written about me is, uh, is going to be accomplished. Everything that the prophets said is going to happen. The prophets, everybody say prophets. That's a word that would be a nickname for the Old Testament as a whole. 
The prophets, uh, Jesus is saying, the Old Testament spoke about who? Him. Him. The Son of Man. Son of Man is a nickname Jesus has given himself, and everybody knows what he's talking about when he says the Son of Man. Everything that the prophets said, Jesus believes, and this is important, Jesus understands himself to be the Messiah of the Jews. It's kind of a weird question. Did Jesus think he was the Messiah? If he didn't, that would be problematic. Jesus himself thought he was the Messiah. And all of the prophets were pointing to him, is what Jesus is saying. They're going to be fulfilled when they get to Jerusalem. Now, the prophets said a lot about the Messiah. The prophets said that the Messiah would be born of a virgin. Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. The prophets said that the Messiah would, uh, be, would restore people to life. Isaiah 61. The, the, the Messiah would ride a donkey. Zechariah 9.9. The Messiah would be lifted up. Numbers 21. And I could go on and on. The, the, the disciples are very familiar with the prophecies that are made about the Messiah. And Jesus is saying, as we get to Jerusalem, everything that the prophet said about me is going to happen. It's going to be fulfilled. Now, the disciples believe that Jesus is the Messiah. But the disciples... are somehow conveniently ignoring a whole lot of prophecies about the Messiah in their own minds. For example, according to the Old Testament, the Messiah would be forsaken and pierced, Psalm 22. The Messiah would be rejected, Psalm 118. The Messiah would be betrayed for 30 pieces of silver, Zechariah chapter 11. The Messiah would be sacrificed as the Passover lamb, of Exodus 12. Jesus tells his disciples in verse 32 exactly how these prophecies are going to be fulfilled. Look at the verse. How are these prophecies going to be accomplished? Verse 32, for he will be delivered over to the Gentiles. He will be mocked. He will be spit on, shamefully treated. He will be flogged. They will kill him, verse 33, and on the third day he will rise. What's there not to understand about that? Like this is the clearest foretelling of what's going to happen over this three-day period in Jerusalem that I can think of. Like he spells it out for them. He's going to be turned over to the occupying forces. He's going to be mocked, shamefully treated, spit on, flogged, they're going to kill him, and on the third day, he's going to rise. But look at verse 34. But they understood none of these things. How is this possible? Hey, as a matter of fact, here's a little help as we think of apologetics or defending the faith. Some people say, oh, well, this was written after the fact, and so when the disciples, when they, when they wrote the Gospels, uh, they, they, they said that Jesus said these things foretelling his death, but Jesus couldn't really have known these things, and so what we believe is that the disciples uh, uh, said he wrote these things 
it, when in fact they just kind of made it up. Jesus didn't really say these things. Well, what's the problem with that? The problem with that is this. The disciples then intentionally make themselves out to look like idiots. Now, they wouldn't make this up. If they were making it up, they would say, and we knew, and, and so therefore we knew what was going to happen. No, they made themselves out to look like idiots. Why? It's because they were, come on church, help me. They were idiots. <laughs> Jesus says, this is what's going to, I'm going to try to spell it out for you. Everything's going to be fulfilled about, that the prophets say about me. This is how it's going to happen. I'm going to die in this way, and then three days later I'm going to rise, and they understood none of these things. As a matter of fact, Luke repeats it three times in verse 34, just for emphasis. Whenever you see something three times in the Bible, that could be like an infinity, all right? It's just for emphasis. Number one, they understood none of these things. Number two, this saying was hidden from them. Number three, they did not grasp what was said. Do you get it? They were blind. Oh, we learned something here about spiritual blindness, don't we? We learn something about spiritual blindness, and that is this. Spiritual blindness is akin to wishful thinking. It's, uh, spiritual blindness is not a misunderstanding of the words. They heard the words. It was actually a very clear message. They heard it. But they did not want that to be true. This was the opposite of everything that they wanted to be true. They wanted glory now. They wanted praise now. They wanted the kingdom now. They wanted Christ glorified now. Everything that they are hoping for in this man, Jesus Christ, is wrong. And when Jesus sets them right, and when Jesus says, this is what's going to happen, it's not that they don't understand the words. It's not that Jesus spoke in a different language. He said it as clear as you can say it. But church, they didn't want that to be the case. That's spiritual blindness. Why do we have spiritual blindness? Well, first, we're born with it. Why are we born with spiritual blindness? It's because we're born in sin. From the time Adam sinned, every single human being is, is born what you might call depraved. We are born sinful. Because we're born sinful, we want to be the God. We want our own heart to be king, as Eddie said in his poem earlier. We want to be the Lord of our own universe. And as a result, we don't want the things of God to be true. And so then we are blind to them. We cannot believe them. It, it cannot be that Jesus is actually saying he's going to die. He must be speaking in a riddle, and I don't understand the riddle. It cannot be that I'm actually a sinner on my way to heaven. That is too harsh. That cannot be. I will not understand that. I refuse to understand that Jesus Christ is the only hope, that in some fashion he died on the cross for my sins. That is so weird that he rose from the dead. I cannot believe that, a.k.a. you are spiritually blind. Church, it's wishful thinking. Spiritual blind people look just like everybody else. 
Their eyes, their physical eyes are open. They can see the world. They can actually do marvelous things in the world. They've got, they can have a great mind. They, they can understand some of the most complex philosophies and, and theories. They can understand mathematics and science. They can send people to the moon. They can create uh, cities. They can do wonderful things in the world. They look very much so alive. But as it relates to the most important aspect of their life, and that is their ability to know God and believe and receive the revealed Word of God and receive Jesus Christ, they are dead. They are blind. Why? They're willfully blind. But secondly, beyond even willfully blind, we see in verse 34... There's an additional blindness here. It says this saying was hidden from them. They did not grasp what was said. As part of the curse, God has also blinded the eyes of the lost. The blindness is God's sovereignty. As God does not allow the lost to understand the message. Oh, church, don't you understand the blind are doubly blind? This is like a, man, a blind man wearing a blindfold. <laughs> this is blind, blind. That is our condition at birth. That is our condition. We are born spiritually blind, and we cannot understand the gospel. Point number two. Jesus opens the eyes of the blind. Somebody say amen. amen. Jesus opens the eyes of the blind. Scene two. So in, uh, God, in the way that the Holy Spirit inspired Luke, Luke places some things side by side that may not have been chronological. Luke isn't telling us a chronological story. He's kind of topically arranging things for us. And so as soon as we talk about the blindness of the disciples, there's now a story of what? The power of Jesus... You see how he does this? The power of Jesus to open the eyes of the blind. So in scene two now, here we are. They're on the road to Jerusalem, and they passed near Jericho. They're in the, the suburbs of, of Jericho. And there's a blind man sitting there by the road. And what we're going to see is that only Jesus can open his eyes. David Brainerd was a missionary to the Susquehanna uh, Indians in Delaware and the Stockbridge Indians up north years and years ago. David Brainerd uh, went out into the woods and would preach the gospel of Jesus Christ and he saw many, many Native Americans come to Christ what was the power in his preaching? What, what, what did he bring with him that allowed blind eyes to be open to the truths of Jesus Christ? Well, some people might say it was in his communication skills. He was a great orator, and he was, but that's not where the power was. 
Some people uh, might say it was in the very words that he used, and he would use words in such a way that would just grab a hold of the heart of the individual. That's where the power, power was. But church, that's not where the power was either. For example, one day David Brainer went out into a village, and he was preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, but of course he speaks one language and the natives spoke another language. He used an interpreter that day who was drunk. He had a few too many. He was so intoxicated he couldn't even stand up as he was interpreting the message from David Brainerd. That day, David Brainerd preached the message. This drunk man slurred the message and scores of people were saved. Where's the power? Don't you see? The power is in Jesus Christ. The power is in the Holy Spirit. It's in the triune God. The ability to open the eyes of the blind. Nowhere in, in all of the Old Testament, nowhere in any Jewish literature does any prophet ever open the eyes of the blind. It never happened before. Blind people were blind. Nobody had ever opened the eyes of the blind. Nowhere in all of Acts do you see one of the apostles open the eyes of the blind. Only Jesus does. In scene two, we see this blind man healed. In this day, there was no social security. There was no disability act. A blind man was also considered to be a sinner, and that's why he was blind. He was an outcast of society, and the only way that he would provide for himself was begging on the streets. This is a, a blind beggar. Now, he knows of Jesus Christ, he's heard of Jesus Christ, and he believes in Jesus Christ. Now, unlike the rich man of last week, the story which I almost read to you again this morning, unlike the rich young ruler who has all of the world and walks away from Jesus, this man has absolutely nothing. What a, what a contrasting story. He has absolutely nothing. He has no hope in this world. Yet he finds Jesus. He believes in Jesus. We, we see that he believes Jesus is the Messiah. He, we don't know exactly how, but he's, he must have heard of Jesus. And when he hears that Jesus is coming near, he gets really excited. <clears throat> and in the text, what we see in verse 38, is that he cries out the same prayer that the tax collector cried out in the temple. Remember that two weeks ago. He says, have mercy on me. I'll read it to you, verse 38. He cries out, Jesus, son of David. That's a, sign, that's a, that's a, that's a, a, a term for the Messiah. Son of David, have mercy on me. Now, religious people get upset and they get nervous when sinners start praising Jesus and crying out for mercy. A sinner walks into church takes his seat right behind some religious folks. And in the middle of the service, the sinner starts crying out, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. He can't, uh, he can't contain himself. 
and he's bringing some attention to himself, and he's being a little distracting in the service. And so the, 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 the religious people turn and look at him out of the corner of their eye, and they say, please be quiet. This man starts crying out for mercy, and those in front of him try to silence him. But then it says he cries out all the more. Praise God for sinners who know they need mercy. He cries out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. He is a, he is a fanatic. He's a Jesus fanatic. One preacher said, I'd rather preach to fanatics than I would preach to a corpse. Because you can always cool down a fanatic, but you can't warm up a corpse. Amen. This man is a Jesus fanatic. He recognizes that Jesus is the Messiah, that he is the giver of mercy. I'm sure he's already heard of stories of mercy and forgiveness through this man. And he cries out, Jesus, have mercy on me. Jesus turns and he asks him in verse 41, what do you want? He, he asks him, let me recover my sight. Let me see. Verse 42, Jesus says to him, recover your sight. Your faith has made you well. Made well is more than just simply a physical healing. That would be a reference toward a spiritual healing. What he's saying is this old doctrine, salvation by grace through faith. You're made well. Not just your eyes. You are made well because of your faith Jesus is saying, in me. Verse 43, immediately, he recovered his sight. The man can see. As we think of the year that has passed us, as we think of the year that is to come, we could talk about the things that we could do, should do, need to do, or we could close out the year through talking about the things that only Jesus can do. I would rather go that option. Let's talk about Jesus, amen? Let me give you three simple lessons, three things that only Jesus can do this morning. Number one, only Jesus atones for sin. Only Jesus atones for sin. How about another LeBron James illustration? Amen. So in 2016, you know when they won the championship? We talked about that recently, haven't we? 2016, when the Cleveland Cavaliers won the championship, uh, some people said that LeBron was all alone out there, that, that, that he did this on his own, that he had no team he was working with. LeBron did it on And all the greats, you know, the great sits down and the team starts to lose. The great gets back into the game and the team starts to win. And so of all of the greats, we always say they, they, they did it on their own. They're out there by themselves carrying the team. Now people today talk about Jordan back in the 90s and they say, oh, Jordan had a great team around him. But I lived in the 90s, and in the 90s when Jordan was winning six championships, we said the same thing. He doesn't have a team, and he's doing it all alone. And our proof was this. Two years, when he wasn't there, they lost. They weren't a good team. 
Where am I going with this? I'm just ranting right now. <laughs> Forgive me. Now, my point is this. Is Jordan actually had a good team. He had a supporting cast. He had Scotty Pick, Pippen, Tony Kukoc, B.J. Armstrong, LeBron James. He had some good players alongside him. Kevin Love, Kyrie Irving, amen. Here's my point. When Jesus went to perform his duty, he truly did it alone. Like, he had 12. That makes up a team in basketball. But these aren't his teammates. He has no supporting cast. And as a matter of fact, we get a glimpse of that right here in this text. They don't even understand him. When he says this is what's going to happen, Jesus has the 12, but he's got no support from them. He will truly do this alone. As a matter of fact, not only will he do it alone, he will be betrayed by his own. One of his own will turn him over to the authorities. Another one of the twelve, when they get there, he's going to just deny him straight up. I never even knew the man three times. He will be abandoned by all. They will go into hiding. Listen, as their friend goes into his most challenging day on earth, they will not be there for him. He walks this road alone. He walks this road with his father. He turns to his father just before his death. But listen, even as he hangs on the cross, the Bible says that his father turned his face away. Why? It's because he who knew no sin became sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus became your sin, your lust, your anger, your pride. He took it on himself. He became the representative for our sin. And the Father couldn't look at it. And Jesus hung there alone, taking the wrath of God. And he did it all alone. Only Jesus only Jesus can atone for sin. He was not supported. The second reason only Jesus can support his friend is, uh, uh, the, only, the second reason only Jesus can atone for sin is because even if his disciples wanted to, they could not help him. Because they were sinners. According to the scripture, a, a lamb must be sacrificed for the forgiveness of sin. A perfect lamb all of that was pointing to this Lamb, Jesus Christ, who lived the life that you and I should have lived. Therefore, He was the perfect Lamb. He is the only one that could die as our substitute because He fulfilled the law. He never sinned against God. Jesus, as He died on the cross then, took 
the punishment for our sin as the sacrificial lamb. And it says, he even talks about it, he says, and on the third day I will rise. He rose again from the dead. Only Jesus can atone for sin. Rising from the dead, he conquers sin. He conquers death. It's all buried in the ground. And we who turn to him, trust in Jesus Christ alone for our salvation, are given the promise that you're forgiven of your sin because of his perfect blood that was shed for your sins. And you have the hope that you too will be risen one day from the dead. I plead with you right now. Trust in Jesus Christ. Embrace this lamb. Is he your sacrifice? Is he your lamb? You cannot sacrifice for your own sins. Whatever you have done wrong in life, whatever guilt you may bear, you cannot atone for your sins. Don't use that language. It's concerning to me when I hear a Christian say something about, oh, I have to atone for my sins. I've got to uh, do penance. I've got to make up for what I've done wrong. You can't. The disciples can't help Jesus become the atonement. The disciples cannot sacrifice their lives for your sin or for their own. And you can't sacrifice enough to cover for your sins. You need a Savior. You need a sacrifice. You need a, need a substitute. And listen, only Jesus, only Jesus can be your sacrifice. Only Jesus can be your substitute. Only Jesus can be your Savior. Only Jesus atones for sin. Number two, only Jesus opens blind eyes. Only Jesus opens blind eyes. What is David Brainerd's hope out there as he preaches the gospel through a drunk preacher, a drunk interpreter? His hope is this, is that Jesus can still open the eyes of the blind. Only Jesus opens blind eyes. Nowhere else, like I said, in all of the Old Testament do we see anybody performing the miracle of opening the blind eyes. God reserves this one miracle for only Jesus. Why? He's telling us something. Because only God has the power to open blind eyes. If eyes were opened in the year 2019. Don't you understand that that was only God's work? If eyes will be opened in 2020, which they will, how exciting is that? Don't you, don't you know that that is only the work of God? It is not due to our techniques. It is not due to us finding better strategies of reaching our blocks and loving the lost. Yes, God uses that work. Yes, we are His means. We talk about that. We will talk about that. But the work of opening the eyes of the blind is only Jesus. So therefore, number three, only Jesus gets the praise. Amen? Only Jesus gets the praise. I can't close without looking at the response of the blind man. Verse 43, immediately he recovered his sight. And what did he do? He followed him, glorifying God. And all the people, oh, by the way, the people who just shushed him. All the people, when they saw it, they gave praise to God. We can't help it. 
when we see blind eyes open. We can't help it when we experience our own blind eyes open. We can't help it but to follow Jesus and to give him all the glory and to give him all the praise. Physical blindness in the Bible is always a sign, it's a type of spiritual blindness. This is why God reserved, I believe, this one miracle for Jesus. Because only Jesus can open the eyes of the spiritually blind. As you think of your own work, as you think of people that you'd like to see saved in 2020, as you, as you think of that loved one who has uh, blind, spiritually blind eyes, don't you know that only Jesus can open their eyes? Only Jesus can open the eyes of our neighbors. Only Jesus can open the eyes of the hustlers on your corner. Only Jesus can open the eyes of the addicts who come believing that this is their only hope. Only Jesus can open the eyes of the greedy man downtown in a high rise. Only Jesus, only Jesus. Listen, 342 murders, that's the actual number. 342 murders. We are tied this year with a record that we set in 2015. We need revival. We need revival in Baltimore City. And revival is not going to happen through us getting a tent and setting it up somewhere. Revival is not going to happen through us doing a series of midweek meetings. Revival is going to happen when God moves through the power of the Holy Spirit and opens blind eyes. We need to pray for it. We need to pray for revival in Baltimore City so that those who currently hold a gun and are considering taking the life of someone else will drop the weapon and be revived as they have eyes open to the power of the gospel. Oh, and we need it as well in our own sanctification. We can be blind in our own sanctification at times. Listen, we can talk about the murder rate, 342 murders, but then as it relates to our own hatred of an individual, our ignoring of an individual, our despising of an individual, our wishing that an individual never existed or, or lived, oh, how hypocritical can we be if we don't look at ourselves and say, God, revive me. Open my eyes to a greater and deeper understanding of Christ in this world. Has God opened your eyes? Has He opened your eyes? Who can forget the eyes that we have seen opened in this church? Who can forget Mark's story of God opening His eyes in 2019? Somebody give God the glory for opening eyes. Who can forget Cynthia's story of just about a year ago, God opening her eyes to the gospel? Who can, forget, who can forget my wife sharing her testimony of how God opened her eyes in 2011 and has done a work in her life? Who can forget the ways that God has, in 2019, opened our eyes to a greater understanding of our relationship with God and has sanctified us, and we've seen other Christians grow this past year. Who can forget the moment when God opened your eyes to the gospel? Praise God. Only Jesus. Only Jesus has this power. And we give Jesus the credit and the glory 
for doing in us what we could never do in ourselves. There was a missionary in Africa who preached the gospel to a church that he had gathered for 20 years, pled with them on Sundays to, 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 to become a Christian, to, to look to Jesus, to embrace Jesus as their only hope. He pled with them. He begged them to come to Christ. He, 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 he argued with them to come to Christ. He pleaded with them to come to Christ. And after 20 years, he took a little break and he went away for a little while. And while he was gone, a revival broke out. And everybody started shouting out, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. In tens and twenties, people would be coming to Christ on Sunday mornings. More and more people were coming to Christ. And so he heard of this and he thought to himself, oh, that's problematic. That must be emotionalism. They've just been caught up with some emotional idea. He came back and he decided his first Sunday back that he would set them right and deal with all of this emotionalism that had broken out in his church. He gets back and he starts to set them right. And as he's doing so, they're crying out, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. And they're coming forward for salvation. The point is simply this. What he had tried to do for 20 years, the Spirit just started to do. It's not in our techniques. It's not in our methods. It's not in our strategies. It's not in our plans. It happens as we're on our knees begging God for the Spirit to move. And when He does, He does. Whether you like it or not, whether you like the way He does it or not, He doesn't care. When Jesus opens blind eyes, He opens them. And it's our story. This isn't just simply the story of the lost individual out there right now. This isn't just the story of the really wicked person that has done terrible things. No, as the hymn says, long my imprisoned spirit lay, fast bound in sin and nature's might. But then all of a sudden my eye diffused a quickening ray and I woke and the dungeon flamed with light. My chains fell off. My heart was free, and I rose, and I went forth, and I followed thee. Amazing love, how can it be that thou, my God, would die for me? As he opens the eyes of the blind, our response is to follow him, and our response is to praise him. Our response is to give Him all the glory. Praise Him for living the life that you should have lived. Praise Him for dying the death that you should have died. Praise Him for three days later, early on a Sunday morning, rising from the dead so that you might live. If He lives, we too have the hope that we will live forever with God. Does anybody want to follow Him into the new year? 
Does anybody want to glorify Him in the new year? Does anybody want to praise Him in the new year? Because only Jesus atones for sin. And only Jesus can open the eyes of the blind. So therefore, only Jesus is worthy of all of our honor and all glory and all praise. It all belongs to Him. Has Jesus opened your eyes? Has He opened your eyes? Will you give Him the glory? Will you give Him the praise? Will you tell somebody about Him? About how He opens the eyes of the blind? He is the only Savior. He is the only sacrifice. Run to Him. Cling to Him. Find your hope in Him and give Him all of the glory. What a healer He is. What a Savior He is. To open not just merely physical eyes, but something much more difficult. To open spiritual eyes. Only Jesus. Only Jesus. Amen? Father, we thank you for giving us Jesus, who has the power to do what we cannot do, to open our lost, darkened, blindfolded spiritual eyes. Thank you for allowing us to see the beauty and the truths of the gospel message. We pray, God, that as we complete 2019 and reflect upon a good year of ministry and life, as we move into 2020 and look forward to the many things that you're going to do this coming year, we pray, God, that we will not rely on our abilities or our techniques, but that we will rely on only Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen.